Okay, so good morning. I apologize again for the screen. Uh, it is something that stresses me out. I've been stressed out for the last hour and a half trying to get it working. We've tried different cables. And I understand that, like me, you don't know all the words to the songs that we just sang. And, you know, we hum and, and nod the best we can. And so I, I apologize for that. We will do our best to get it in good working order um, before you are here again. And if it's not, it'll be all right. Because the, the words that we sing aren't as important as the heart behind them. Uh, so, thank you. This morning, we're going to do something that, that is either going to be really good or super awkward. And that's pretty much me. It's either going to be really good or super awkward. So let me let me tell you kind of my main point, and then hopefully I will round back again to this. But my one thing that I want you to walk away today, which the text is going to clearly unfold, is that Scripture always trumps tradition. Okay, and, and let me let me disclaimer. So this is not contemporary versus traditional. This is not Protestant versus Catholic. This is not. Any of those choices that, yes, he's finally going to tell those other church people what they're doing wrong. Literally, the word of God this morning is something that every single one of us can get wrong and still be doing all the right things. Which is the confrontation that Jesus is going to have with some, I won't even say well-meaning Pharisees, but some people. So how, how do we get there? How do we get to the place here, and this is just the thought that I have is, have you ever lived under a belief or superstition, you might see where I'm going here, that you found later to be false? You know, there's some people that are going to cringe that I'm getting ready to walk under this ladder, because you've lived under a, a belief system that the rule of not walking under this ladder is greater than the God that created the universe. So look at look at this. Oh, look at this. Oh, I'm just squashing it all, people. You don't ever open an umbrella inside. I'm not telling you, some of you feel really uncomfortable and you're already in your brains going, maybe something bad about to happen to him. That's why the projector didn't work, man. If you would have not been planning this, it would have worked. This one's hilarious. Okay, have you ever done something you're like, knock on wood? Do you, ever, do you ever look at where that is? That's literally paying homage to a wood god. And what's even crazier is most people nowadays, they go, knock on wood. <laughs> like, there's some weird medical treatment that you got that put wood in your head. I don't know, but that doesn't even make sense. How about, okay, and it's bad if you're, like, behind them, but, like, you ever, somebody spilt salt, they're like, <laughs> over their shoulder, or a bro- broken mirror, seven years of bad luck, and bless their little hearts, but a little black kitten, what has he ever done to anyone? Did, did he say, like, hey, guys, like, I'd like to be born as a cat that no one likes? 
I mean, go to the kennel. No one's adopting that cat. Dad, you better find a white hair on that cat or something. They're like, no, not taking it. But there's lots of these things. I know this is funny, and I'm going to make a reference here. Let's let's see who, um, you know, watched TV movies in the 80s. Don't feed a mogwai after midnight. Okay, just one person. Tell me, what was it? That's right, gremlins. If you haven't watched it, don't watch it. I'm telling you, like, I watched it as a kid, and the end of the movie is like... I flipped with a light on until I was like 12. I mean, just serious. At the end of the movie, it's like, don't go to bed without checking under your bed and checking here. And you're terrified. You're like, the gremlins, they're coming to get me. But you don't feed them after. Or, you know, how many times are you not supposed to say Beetlejuice? Three. Some of you young ones are like, Gremlins? Beetlejuice? Like, what weird mess? It's all right. When you get our age, we'll look at your shows and go, like, we don't know what you're talking about. But the problem with this is this kind of thinking works its way into the church. This kind of unspoken rules that everybody's supposed to apply to. Do you know what the most segregated day of the week is? Sundays. This is a white church. This is a black church. Korean church. Who, who made these rules? That And it's not like spoken. Like there's no sign on the door that says this church is for. But what happens to us when we adopt things that aren't in the word of God? When they become our gospel. And if you grew up in the South, there's things I can guarantee you that you've adopted that have some grounding, maybe in a little bit of scripture, maybe in a little bit of church history that we've adopted. I was going to start preaching in a tie and then take it off, but I didn't want to tie it or nor wear it for the first 20 minutes. (laughs) But there's, well, I mean, like the first time I preached, I remember I was a youth pastor at my church that I planted out of, and um, the first time I preached in real church, big church, my dad was like, you going to wear a jacket, right? <laughs> no, I don't wear a jacket to church normally. Why would I wear, you got to wear a jacket to preach in? And I'm like, am I going to be any more anointed? Like, is the word going to sound any better coming out of my mouth once I put a jacket on? I don't, I don't know. I, I, have try, I have preached in a jacket before, but would not do it for just any reason. But the problem with all of these things is it, it, it gets into what we do, which is really where God's after. Not See, belief is only there if it moves to action. Because we can say that we believe all kinds of things, but in, until we... Move in action until that belief becomes an action. It's, it's literally just something that we loosely hold to. But in a pinch, we would not hold to it. So if you've been reading along with us, we've been going through Mark. And, and, and Mark, there's several times where Jesus is confronted with tradition. And the Pharisees are mad because they have 
adopted things that are well-meaning. I'm sure they didn't like maliciously like, we're going to say ladders are evil unless you're on them, never going under them. Like They didn't do that. They just said, hey, if, if one is good, then two is better. And they added stuff to it. So the first one you run into is in Mark 2. And <clears throat> most likely, uh, there was a kind of a, a tradition, I think it was Mondays and Thursdays, were days that um, uh, the, the Jewish people would fast on. There were extra days that was part of their tradition that they would fast in. And, and there was a day that Jesus was probably having a party with his disciples, just meaning they were eating. In the fair, I found it funny. Like even when they were going through the field and they they grabbed some grain off the thing, like the Pharisees saw them. Like them jokers are following them around. Like, and I don't know if they're like following because they're intrigued or they're following. Like I'm about to catch you doing something wrong. And so, needless to say, the the disciples weren't fasting. And so the Pharisees came and says, "Why aren't the disciples fasting?" It's like, why would? And he gives this little parable of like. Why would you fast during a wedding feast when the bridegroom is there? You would not do that. And then he, 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 he goes into this weird kind of analogy that if you've got a hole in your, your pre-shrunk cloth, you would not sew a new piece of cloth onto it because then when you wash it, it would, you know, the one that was not shrunk shrinks and it rips and it makes it worse. And then he talks about, you know, we, we, these aren't really things that we do. Like, how many people have sewn a patch on their pants? Okay, there you go. A couple? Okay. Yes. I'm for denim. Keep it going. And, you know, the, the other illustration he got, he was like, no one would put new wine that's unfermented in a old wineskin because the wine, when it ferments, is going to add pressure and it's going to stretch that wineskin and, and that's, it's going to bust. It's, you're going to lose everything. And he's kind of saying to them, and this is what we're going to talk on, is that, that what you did before, these rules that you set up by the tradition of men, cannot be added to Jesus. The, the, the two aren't going to work together if you hold fast to one that isn't intended to be there. Another one in Mark 3, Jesus walks into a temple and it's, it's the Sabbath. You don't do anything on the Sabbath. You don't work. And which is so weird that they took it as far as saying you don't heal somebody. Like I can imagine God going, hey guys, I worked really hard those six days. I rested. He didn't really rest. The job was done on the seventh day so he could rest so he rested and then everybody else is like hey you're going to rest on that day you're not going to work and, and and so much so that you're not even going to heal like if there's something good that you can do you're not going to do it because then that would be going against god which doesn't make any sense and he has this whole dialogue with him and it was like you know there's a guy with a shriveled hand and just to like stir the pot in the middle of church he tells the man Healed his hand. Like he just did a miracle at church and they want to kill him. Because he broke the Sabbath. And so we're, we're going to be, and it's not going to be on the screen. I don't know why I just pointed back there. Force of habit. Mark 7, 1 through 23. I'm going to cover a large section of this. And we're just going to look at what Jesus has to say about traditions versus commandments. In verse 1, it says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. Okay, 
Pharisees and scribes, these were religious leaders of the days. These, these were like not only the political, but religious kind of leaders of what was the Jerusalem council. And the scribes were the educated ones that literally scribed. They did the translations. These are well-educated people. These are the ones that were in the business of keeping everybody else in line. And so in verse 2 it says, And they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled. Now your grandma probably felt that way. Anybody else? Like, I think it, okay, let me just, let me, you just get this out there. I think a little bit of germs and bacteria in our system is good for you. I eat off the ground and I'm pretty healthy. Because you guys are using too much sanitizer and you just need to chill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was soapbox down. Okay. <clears throat> and they, and they, they were defiled and that is unwashed. And see in verse 3 it says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And this is, okay, kids, I apologize to parents right now. Please wash your hands. It's gross to leave the bathroom if you don't wash your hands. So this is not pastor saying never wash your hands. Disclaimer. You're welcome. Okay. <clears throat> Holding to the tradition of the elders in verse 4, and it says, And when they came to the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash. And there were many other traditions that they observed, such as washing the cups and pots and copper vessels and dining. Whatever that is. What is that word? Couches. Really? Babe, can we get a dining couch? I think that would be awesome. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't make a comment on that earlier. But seriously, I mean, like, they were... They even more so when they went into the market, the reason why it was a big deal for them, because they went into the market and they may have run in unintentionally to people that were defiled, who were unclean. And so in coming in contact, I mean, and if you're reading through Leviticus with the one year Bible. I know it's easy to skip through it, but it's just beautiful, the things that you cannot touch. Okay, anyway, I guess I'm the only one that hasn't read it or is reading it. You know, dirty hands, and not that, you know, this is whatever, but it was defiled. It made you unclean. And I don't know if you were in this mindset, too, but my grandmother, like, if it was below, like, 50 and you have a jacket on, you were going to die. Because, you know, when it's cold, you just, like, the germs are out there waiting for it. That one doesn't have a jacket. Get him. (laughs) This is what goes through my head. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, and this is a big deal, why do your disciples? So in this paradigm, in, in this um, culture, the disciple was, I mean, the, the teacher was responsible for making sure his disciples did the right thing. So if the disciples weren't doing the right thing, then it was a reflection of the teacher, which is what they're getting at, that your disciples aren't cleaning their hands. Or a walk according to the tradition of the elders. Notice he keeps saying tradition, not like this is the word of God, what he has handed down to us, but eat with defiled hands. Let's just say that at lunch today. Are your hands defiled? 
No, you're not. <laughs> In verse six, and he said to them, "Well, did oh this this look? I love Jesus because Jesus doesn't aggressively like like I would like throat punch the Pharisees like boom like say something again. I'm about to call down fire and rain. He doesn't. He just he just says okay." You, you, you want to get into this? He said, and he said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? I don't know if you noticed that, but that was a throat punch right there. Not physically, but it just happened as it was written. And so he didn't go as it's, you're hypocrites because I say you're hypocrites. He's going, you're hypocrites because, oh, look at this. The word of God says that you are and. Here it is. It says, this people honors me with their lips. Meaning they're doing all the right, they're saying all the right words, but they're not doing the right things. But their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commands of men, which is what Jesus is getting at. You leave the commandments of God and you hold to the traditions of men. See, this is the central point that I'm trying to root out today. There are things potentially that are ruining our life and relationship with the Creator God because we've added things to the list of things that we must do for Him to love us. For him to approve of us, for him to, you know, whatever, this, this list, I gotta get five out of seven. Even if I don't read five out of seven, like in the Word, five out of seven days, then if I go four out of seven, he's not gonna like me. He's only gonna like me at 80%. And if it goes below that, then you didn't read any last week. Do you, do you feel it? Some of you right there felt a, 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 I don't even say conviction because conviction is a good thing that moves us to action. Felt a condemnation of that, of going, maybe that's true. Maybe God doesn't love me because I I didn't get in the word last week instead of going. I stand here justified by what Christ did for me, and he is in the business of changing me. In verse nine, it said, and he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and whatever and whoever reviles. OK, like I'm, I'm just jumping to the New Testament. There's another place where it's like listing these horrible sins. And one of them's like being mean to your parents. Just for a record, children, just say it. <clears throat> He says, honor your mother and father, and whoever reviles your mother and father must surely die. So here is Jesus again going, hey, you hypocrites. You're changing the rules so that you can have something that benefits you. So he's telling them, here's the rule of God that in in this culture, you as a child were responsible for taking care of your family, your aging parents. It was your responsibility given to you by God. But the ch- I hate even saying the church, but the church, for them, changed some of the rules so they could benefit off the money that would have been spent on the parents. Here we go. In verse 11, it says, But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever <clears throat> you would have gained from me, Corbin, not Corbin, another Corbin, um, 
that is given to God. So you could say, hey, look, this, this money that I've set aside to take care of my aging parents, I'm going to give to the church. In Acts 2, there were some people that sold some land and gave some money to the church and used it maliciously to look good. And that didn't go well for themselves. You can read that later. <clears throat> but he's saying, hey, the church created this thing that you could allocate this money that was supposed to be used to care for your parents for the church. And then, verse 12, you no longer permit him to do anything for his mother, father and mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. See, when the words and ideas of man trump the words of God, things go horribly wrong. Honestly, probably the worst things that are going on in our life are probably created by us trying to do similarly religious things. Let me explain. Okay, because you may be in the room and you're like, well, this is religion, right? This is Christianity. Okay, when I refer to the word religious, religious is a paradigm where you work on the outside, hoping that that will infect, affect the inside of you, that it will change you from the outside in. So you start doing the things outside, and that would begin to change you. Christianity, the life of being a disciple, is literally God coming, changing your heart, doing a radical transformation from the inside of you, and from the inside of you, it begins to change the outside of you. And they had, what Jesus is coming against right now is a system that is solely working on what you do without reflecting the inside of you. Because here were Jesus confronting the leaders of the day going, your issue isn't what you do, it's what's inside of you. And then he goes on to say, what defiles a person? In verse 14, it says, and he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand there is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And I know this is also not in our culture, but in this culture, like what you eat, like there was a list. And if you're in Leviticus, you just got that list, not like three or four days ago of the things that you're not to eat depending on how the hoof is split and whether it has scales or not in the water. There's things that you can and cannot eat, and there's things that were clean and unclean, and, and they would never eat something unclean because that unclean thing that they consumed would defile them. And Jesus is confronting that, saying, it's not what's going into your mouth. It's not what you consume, but it's what comes out of the person defiles. In verse 17, <clears throat> It says, when he entered the house and left the people, the disciple asked him about the parable. And he said to him, then, at, sorry, then are you also without understanding? I love that you can be so close to Jesus, close enough to be a disciple and still be clueless. There's hope for us. Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the person cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. You know what that means, right? Okay, I'll just leave that right there. Thus, he declared all 
foods clean. It's not a food. I mean, like the early church almost split up because of what you ate in Acts. And whether or not you were circumcised, whether or not you took on some of the traditions of men. Verse 20, and he said, and he said to him, what comes out of a person is what defiles him from for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, uh, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. The only place for lasting change that can happen really is inside of you. There's actually a prophetic word that what God would do, he would send his spirit and his spirit would interact with the, the Son of Man. He would interact with us and he would take our heart of stone, which is incapable of change, incapable of doing other anything other than obeying external laws. And he would remove that and he would put a heart of flesh in us so that we can obey his commandments. If there's not internal change, if there's not internal Repentance. If there's not God going, I need you in me. Like, I, I don't want you here to obey the rules that I give you. I don't want you here to obey the, you know, kind of social norm that happens in church. I want you to go. I want the living God to transform me. I want the living God. See, this is this is the problem. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Here are the people that have set their life aside, waiting for the return of the Messiah. We're in the presence of God and missed it. Because just like he said in Isaiah, that your your lips are speaking the words, but your hearts are far from me. Like, I, I don't want you to be ruled by things that will never, ever change you. I want you to have an encounter with a living God that radically transforms your life, but we cannot radically transform our life. We cannot begin doing things that make us look radical for the gospel if he does not first transform our heart, because we will be just like the Pharisees that will create a new system of rules. And when we create a system and rules, what we do, and we do this, we look outside of us into other people and go, well, you're not, you don't have your shirt tucked in. You're not wearing a suit to church. You don't have a tie on. You, you don't do this. You don't do that. Y'all, y'all meet on a different time of the day. There's so many things that we do that limit and judge our world. Now, I'm not saying this because you, 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 could, you could get at the top of that and you could jump into the air and go, he's saying Jesus frees us for everything. Jesus frees us from ourself. And we connect ourself to the living Savior who then leads our life. So this isn't like, hey, we don't judge anybody based on anything. This means we judge people based on the word of God. And I don't mean that in a, a nasty judgmental way. I just mean, look, we cannot base our judgments of others based on ideals 
that we've held to that have no scriptural premise. Because if we believe in the gospel that was preached in the gospels, you had nothing to do with your salvation. You didn't do any work. You didn't do, you know, you didn't go to the right church for it. You didn't you didn't do anything. God did every bit of it. That's the gospel. And the problem is we want to be just like the early church that says, yes, but add this. And I don't know what that is for you. Like there's so many backgrounds of church backgrounds and maybe not even going to church or maybe you went to like a, a, a very liturgical church that did this and, and you had these things. And that's not knocking those like the gospel is preached in churches everywhere that don't look like this. But the heart and the message of what's going on is, are you following Jesus that you love? Is he ruling and reigning in your life to where he can come and confront you on some of these things right now? Some of these things that you're holding so closely that are separating you just like the Pharisees from an encounter with the living God. The Pharisees could not change their mindset. It could not. They were more concerned about how dirty the, the disciples' hands were or that they weren't fasting on a day that they should be fasting. They were more concerned of the tradition of man than they were what God was trying to do right in front of them. And that's what we want. That's what we want today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up front and as we go into wordless worship again, which is going to be awesome. It won't be as long as the first one, so it won't be as awkward for as long, I promise you. But what I want to encourage you is that God, through the Holy Spirit, can right now, while we're having worship, you won't know the words probably anyway, so have a conversation with the living God. Have a conversation of going, God, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that I know you because we cannot know the Father outside of His Word. So if you've been around the things of God, even if you've gone to church every day of your life and you've only heard one person's opinion of the Word, God doesn't have the access that you could give Him every day of opening up and I know I said this earlier. If you get inspired by that, don't start in Leviticus. Start somewhere towards the end, what they call the New Testament. And just look. I mean, this is Emmanuel. This is God who put on flesh. That is literally trying to stir the hearts of people to him. And he's not stopped. Like, he doesn't want you to just adopt a set of beliefs. He wants you to say, this is my Savior. And if he speaks it, if he calls me to do it, then I'm here. Literally, I'm in this city, in Leland, North Carolina, because God asked me to plant a church here. I didn't want to. Not that I don't like you guys if you're from Leland your entire life. I was very comfortable in central North Carolina. In a big church that had lots of money and that would guarantee my salary as long as I behaved and did my job. 
I was more interested in being obedient than I am comfortable. And that's what I want for you. Not obedient to me, not obedient to like, oh, he said that we have to. I want you to be obedient to the living God who told us in John 17 that I will send, it is to your benefit that I leave so I can send the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, Romans 8, lives in those who call themselves children of God. And he said, there's so many things that I cannot tell you, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit that will bring meaning out of this. So if if this is a struggle, for one, get in a community group where you get around other people that you realize that you're not the only one struggling. I'm going to tell you, like some days I, I open the word and I'm like, God, I just I need something. I don't find anything. Be honest. I think sometimes you think like Heath opens the word and it's like, Oh, and it glows and like the hand of God is like right there, buddy, for you. No, it's work. I have to like go, God, I need you. Desperation is the best way to encounter the living God. He's for the brokenhearted. I mean, read the Beatitudes, the lowly in heart like those are the people. If you're there, cry out. Don't be ruled by stupid things. Don't let your life not encounter God because you are afraid of something that you have believed that you shouldn't. And so what I want to happen during this last song, and I have an honest conversation. And that honest conversation can look like, God, I, I'm confused I don't know what to do, and I'm, I'm lost. When a when hundred sheep were there and one was lost, what did Jesus, what, what happened? What did the shepherd do? He went after the lost. If you're lost this morning, if you're just, you know, even if you're a child of God, and it's just, we go through seasons where we just go, God, I don't know. Cry out. The living God is still active today. He did not disappear. He did not come and do his job and leave to disappear until he returns. He left, leaving us with the gift of the Holy Spirit that is here in this room. So have a conversation. Pour out your heart. Just say, God, I I need whatever. Like, I need you. I need you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is by grace and mercy that you show us Yourself. And we need that today more than ever. There's there's things that we've held on to that we cannot get away from. Things that are separating us from you because we either wrongly believe them or misheard them or whatever, but we've established other things. We look more to horoscopes that come in the paper for what's coming in our future than what you give us. So, Lord, we repent right now of of choosing to believe things that aren't from you. And, Lord, as that heart wells in us, Lord, I pray that right now in Jesus' name that you would just begin to point those things out in our life. That you would begin to whisper in our ear saying, come. I have purpose and plan for you. 
I have a destiny that you'll never, ever experience without letting go of those other things and just saying yes to me. So, Lord, as we wrap up today, Lord, I pray that you would, in the only way that change happens, that you would begin to stir in us a heart and a desire to hear and see your word active in our life. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.